2: welcome in to thursday night a little bit after nine o'clock fashionably late my fault this time it's the game plan podcast inside carolina bellwether podcast sponsored by johnny t-shirt and t-shirt.com Alright boys, Thursday night, Game Plan Podcast, Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, I'm your host Tommy Ashley, I mentioned Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. The weather continues to improve, but Greg, uh, people are having some serious PTSD thinking a hurricane was going to be in town the same time the Hokies were. Doesn't look like that's going to be the case, but it was iffy there for a while.
0: Yeah, I think that speaks to kind of some of the issues around this program right now, right? Because the only reason that Virginia Tech won in blowout fashion during Hurricane Matthew back in 2016 is because the Hokies were a heck of a lot tougher than Carolina was on that day. I think the final score was 34 to 3. Um, and we haven't seen a lot of toughness out of Carolina, uh, especially this year, but really over the last decade or so. And fans understand that they realize that, and so uh, the last thing Carolina fans wanted is another hurricane to come through to give Virginia Tech some kind of advantage. And I think that says a lot beyond just this particular game. Um, and that's something that Mack Brown has to address. Uh, I think they've done a pretty good job on the offensive side of the ball. The defense, of course, is a mess. But that—that's it, Tommy. When you're when you're hoping and praying that a storm. Uh, dissipates so that you have ideal conditions. Whoo. Uh, I think that that's somewhat of an indictment on kind of the situation with the program in terms of toughness right now.
2: Jason, this game is not, I don't know what it is on paper. What is it on paper when you look at this game between these two teams? It's like you got good versus good, Carolina's offense versus Virginia Tech's defense. And then I think I saw it was maybe the Virginia Tech's write up. It was like, Really bad against really bad their offense in Carolina's, but the bottom line is, is if Grant Wells can just turn off, turn around and hand the ball off, that's not that difficult for Virginia Tech. So, what do you see paper wise before we dig into the nitty gritty? Muted, my friend.
1: It was bound to happen at some point this year. (laughs) It's bound to happen. I see a really good offense against. A good defense and then a really bad offense against a really bad defense that's what I see ding ding uh, ding 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 so you notice there's one more really in there than 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 the other Carolina's offense is is better than than Virginia Tech's defense by a good bit but Car- Virginia Tech's offense is only just a hair better than North Carolina's defense. Which is actually a pretty amazing accomplishment to be that far down in the rankings. so uh, in the in the uh, in the efficiency uh, rankings. so you know you've got the uh, very movable object against the nearly uh, uh, or the uh, what is it the very movable object against the nearly immovable force or something like this i mean it's it's whatever the whatever the opposite of the norm is that's what it's going to be when virginia tech's on the field it's going to be you know a very interesting question to see whether or not they're able to move the football uh based on that matchup
2: you got a rock paper scissors without the scissors you got a rock and paper who's going to win that battle it greg you know it's crazy how it works and. Virginia Tech's fallen off the map. Um, obviously, they've switched it up and changed the way, but they've tended to have Carolina's number. Um, and part of that reason, I believe, and we can debate this, and it, I think it proved certainly true during Hurricane Matthew, is they've been tougher than Carolina. They were clearly tougher than Carolina last year in Blacksburg. I think Carolina, I've said it before, Carolina was shook they should have never been out on that field during inter and all that stuff. But Virginia Tech came out and smacked them in the mouth. What's different about Virginia Tech trying to do that on Saturday? I mean, I don't think it was a terribly a whole lot of difference talent-wise both ways last year as it is this year.
0: No, there, there's not. And I think if Brent Pry is, is very smart, then he's going to follow that that same game plan. Because what Virginia Tech did, they fully knew – fully understood what Sam Howell could do and what that offense was capable of. And so they had a good defensive scheme in place. But more importantly, they used the offense to complement the defense. Uh, they churned they out a lot of clock. They limited possessions. They, tr- they played keep away as best they could so that the Virginia Tech defense didn't have to be out there as much as maybe they normally would. And they tried as best they could to keep the ball out of Sam Howell's hands. Uh, and then, of course, Virginia Tech defense did a really good job. It's good complementary football, and it's what was required for Virginia Tech to win the game the way they did. Uh, the goal is last year, and the goal is this year, get the game into the second half. Because there's a mindset out there that North Carolina, um, you know, when, when they're favored, if you get into the second half with them, uh, you can – Shake them up a little bit, right? I mean, Georgia State did it. Florida A&M kept close until the third quarter. Uh, Notre Dame laid the smack down late against Carolina, especially there in the third quarter. Uh, I mean, App State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. So, uh, I mean, it's out there, and I think everybody understands it. The challenge for Virginia Tech, however, is, yeah, a lot of the talent's the same. Um, they don't really have the same level of, of quarterback, probably. Although Burmeister wasn't great last year, uh, Grant Wells is. Uh, yeah, he's been hit or miss.
2: They've Mostly really struggled.
0: Yes. Yeah, they've really struggled running the ball this year. And I mean, if you look at like run grades and all that stuff from last year, they were pretty good—not great, pretty good. This year they've been horrible. I mean, just just looking at the PFF numbers, Virginia Tech is 58th out of 65 Power Five teams in offense. Uh, 65th out of 65 teams in run blocking. Wow. And then 59th out of 65 teams in running the ball. Uh, they they haven't tried to really attack the edges running the ball very much. Um, they, they've been very stingy in trying to run between the tackles without much success. And that's putting uh, Grant in some very difficult situations having to throw the ball. Uh, and so you Brent Pryde just his offensive staff has not figured it out quite yet. It's been a problem for him. That's why they're they're not playing very well on that side of the ball. Um, that's going to make it tough because if you're just relying on your defense to win the game, as Jason said, Carolina's offense, I think, is just too good, especially at home. So Virginia Tech's got to figure out a way to keep their offense on the field, and we just haven't seen them be able to do that this year.
1: So building on what uh, Greg just said there, Yards per carry so far this year by game, Virginia Virginia Tech at Old Dominion averaged 3.49 yards per carry.
2: At Old Dominion.
1: That's at Old Dominion, 3.49 yards per carry. Then Boston College, which Boston College actually has a pretty good defense. They're, they're, they're decent. They just have no offense. 3.2 yards per carry. Then Wofford. You'd expect them to, you know, bounce back a little against Wofford because it's, well, Wofford, 3.24 yards per carry. So they added a four hundredths there compared to what they got against, against Boston College. And then against West Virginia, 18 carries for 35 yards for 1.94 yards per carry. So this is a team that has not been able to run the football at all against anybody and Against the one, you know, good defense they played, which is West Virginia, they couldn't they, they it was it was really bad. So you can bet that they are just really happy to be playing North Carolina's run defense this week in the hopes that that'll that, that alone will jump start their rushing attack.
2: So is it a stand your ground game for Brent Pry, Greg? I mean, we, we can talk about hires and how people look at their their new jobs and all, but this is early in Brent Pry's career, um, and in North Carolina, we talked a little bit about it. North Carolina's been eating into that Virginia Tech recruiting base for a long time, and there's no love loss between the programs at all. Um, is, is this a game? We'll talk about Carolina plenty here, but for Virginia Tech, if you're Brent Pry, how do you change what Jason just talked about against a team that has been pretty forgiving, at least on? on the field during, uh, you know, from the defensive side?
0: Yeah, well, really over the last, uh, I mean, I guess pretty much a decade, you know, Virginia Tech was the dominant team in the Coastal when they first came in, and then it kind of split apart late in Frank Beamer's tenure. Uh, but really since then, there has been a, a rivalry aspect here. And I, I thought it was very interesting earlier this week, uh, Stephen Gosnell who's wide receiver for G- Virginia Tech now, course, played at Carolina in the past couple of years, he was asked about that. And he said, you know, when, when I was at Carolina, there really wasn't much of a rivalry standpoint with Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, you got State and you got Duke and Wake Forest and then also Virginia. Uh, but now that he's at Virginia Tech, he understands the passion there and the dislike that Virginia Tech fan fans and, and players have for the Tar Heels. And maybe that speaks to why Virginia Tech's what seven and two, in Kenan Stadium since they joined the ACC. Uh, and I, I think we've seen that the last couple of years. Um, yeah, Virginia Tech was was five and one under the uh, Enterprise uh, predecessor. So because Pry was on the on the on the uh, coaching staff a number of years ago, maybe some of that's filtered through. But I'm sure he's heard about it. So. Um, and this is an opportunity, and the defense has been pretty solid. Uh, he's got to figure out a way to keep this game close, as I said earlier, into the second half. So they've got to be able to manufacture some points, uh, maybe create some turnovers. I-, I think that's about the only way they can do it. And, f- and for him, yeah, I mean, if you can win this game, uh, that goes a long way. You, the, you, Virginia Tech fans did not like seeing their team lose to West Virginia the way that they did. Game was close until pretty much the start of the fourth quarter. And then uh, West Virginia really just kind of poured away late. And then, of course, you've got the ODU game to open the season. So there's some blemishes there already. Uh, but if Pry is able to come down to Chapel Hill and, and win the game, uh, I think that'll go a long way in earning him some respect. And uh, that that really obviously would help his tenure only, what, it would be five games in, so very early in his tenure.
2: Jason, we talked about, I think, on the, uh, I think on the day after, earlier, we talked about this game, and you talked about how Carolina needed to get Virginia Tech down and continue to pound on them and not let them up. How, what's the mindset, and how does it affect a game when you have one team that clearly hates the other, and the other, um, if Gosnell's to be believed, just doesn't really care that much. You know, there's no real it's, – it's, it's the next game. It's not the Super Bowl. It's not a team we hate. How does that affect guys in matchups? I mean, I would think if you come in wanting to beat somebody silly like Virginia Tech likes to do to Carolina, that that helps them versus Carolina's approach. Is it's you know it's Virginia Tech who cares?
1: I don't know that at this stage of the two programs that the way that they see the that the that they see this game is all that different in the two programs. To be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a game that, I mean, it's an interdivisional for one more year, an interdivisional rivalry uh, and a game between guys who, you know, a lot of guys from Virginia and North Carolina on both rosters. So, you know, some familiarity and, and not exactly a ton of, of uh, affection on, you know, of one side for the other. But I don't think that this is the same as, you know, NC State, for UNC players, and I don't think it is that for for Virginia Tech either. So I think that aspect of things is a little more of a fan thing in this matchup than it is otherwise. Uh, that, that's just my impression. I might be wrong there, but I mean, I think you have to get into the mindset as much as possible of next game up, and you know, kick the opponent down as much as you can. Now, coaches, I think Carolina's coaches it's a little bit different because for Carolina's coaches, you look at what at Virginia tech as a, as a regional recruiting rival, and you definitely want to kick them while they're down at every opportunity you get. So, you know, for them, for that, they're not a whole lot different from say NC state or, you know, wake forest or whomever, a little less wake forest, but they're more comparable to NC state on your schedule in terms of a team that you really need to beat to really make sure that you're, you're recruiting at the level that you want to.
2: Let's talk a little bit about how Carolina gets better this week, Greg. Um, it, we talk about levels of competition all the time. Clearly, Notre Dame's much higher level of competition against Virginia Tech. But how does Carolina improve? How does Carolina bounce back? It didn't seem like Gene Chiswick was too terribly worried. Now, Mac's been feisty and fired up all week. Um, but how did, is it possible for, this, for it just to click for the defense? And I thought maybe it would after the Georgia tech or excuse me, Georgia state meltdown where they had to come to Jesus meeting on the sidelines. I thought there would be some sort of clicking now, Notre Dame's uh, big men had a way of mashing that. Can it click against Virginia tech? And if it doesn't click against Virginia tech, will it ever click this
0: season? Uh, There's always hope. And look, Gene Chizik has been head coach. Uh, he he won a national championship at Auburn. Uh, He understands how how to talk to media, even though it may not be how fans want to hear it. But he understands the PC game. And also think that that's how Gene is in terms of being very methodical. And he always talks about, you you kind of stack your defenses, you stack what you're teaching the guys. If, If one member is not up to speed, you slow everything down. That's just his coaching style. And so I think that the intent is You're not looking for massive changes, even though fans probably want that. You're trying to get incrementally better every time you step out on the field. So every snap, every position drill, every team drill, and then you do it the next day. And the hope is that if you get better incrementally throughout the course of weeks, throughout the course of months, at some point, you're going to have a breakthrough. Now, is that going to be Saturday? Maybe. And part of this, too, I mean, I'm very fascinated to see what happens with Notre Dame in the next couple weeks. Why? Because their offense stunk the first three (laughs) weeks of the season. And it helped that they got to play North Carolina, right? But beyond just playing a bad defense, they gained confidence. And by the end of that game, they were attacking like a very good offense would even though they hadn't been that to this point. So does that carry over? Because they had not had much reason to be confident in three games prior, but all of a sudden things are working for you, even though it's against a, a bad defense. Does that carry over? Can you use that confidence to really take that next step? So this is the same situation for North Carolina. Virginia Tech is not a good offense. So even though you're playing against a lesser opponent on that side of the ball, If you have success and if you have team success and you're able to to cheer your teammates instead of yelling at them and barking at them, what does that do? Does that move the line a little bit closer to where you want it to be? And do you get a snowball effect? Clearly, that's what Gene Chizik's wanting. Um, But if you're just going into this game expecting dramatic improvement, I think that's too much to ask. Can it push the, the, the ball closer to the goal line? Sure, and that's what you're hoping for, and you want things to start kind of building so that as you get into ACC play, you have something to hang your hat on. Um, but I will say this. Gene talked about it. We've talked about it. You got to, and I think Schottmer said it best, you got to be good at something. And I think, if anything, you can do that Saturday. If You got to sell out to stop the run, do it. But be good at at least one thing. And if you can do that, then at least you can start to form an identity.
2: Jason, you've watched this team for many years, but for four games this year, what can they be good at on defense? (laughs) It's only the I'm just lobbing softballs, man. (laughs) You you call that a softball? (laughs) It's just like it's the size of a cannonball and it weighs that much, but it's shaped like it's a it's a big yellow cannonball coming at you.
1: I'm still thinking. Well, I mean, I, I think here's the thing. You still have two, two corners that should be pretty good. And you've got, really in your back seven, you've got players that should be able to cover. You know, I think this team can be, and, and I actually think there was some improvement overall in terms of pass coverage from the, ba- from, the, from the back end last week. I thought there was a little bit of improvement, especially at the corner position. They played better than they had the prior weeks. Now, Notre Dame also doesn't really scare you at wide receiver, so I wonder how much that's a factor. But, you know, I, I think they should be okay. They, this this team should be decent against the pass just because of the, the people they've got in the back end. Uh, I would have said, if you'd asked me at the beginning of the year what they should be good at in terms of personnel, in terms of of what they've got on the roster, they should be good at stopping the run. This is a team that's built to stop the run. They've recruited to stop the run, and through four games, I've seen no evidence that they're that they're going to get there. Because to stop the run, you have to be. It requires a few things to stop the run. You have to you have to have the bodies to do it. You have to have the the, the talent. You have to have the size. You know. You have to have the quickness. I think they've got that.
2: I'm going to say they've I got mean, that in Spain. Yeah,
1: they've, they've got that. I mean, they've got, you know, eight, nine guys on the defensive line that could play at per, pretty much anywhere in the in the conference that, that would be in the two deep anywhere else in the conference. So they got that. Then you also have to be gap sound. You have to know where your gap is, and you have to be there consistently at the right time. So just doing your doing your assignment, doing your job with good eyes, Don't try to peek into the backfield or do stuff that's not your job. Just be gap sound. That's number two. They've done that rather poorly, and Notre Dame exposed it bad. Notre Dame saw some stuff on film that I'd seen earlier in the year, and they specifically went out of their way to take advantage of some of those things and really expose it. Uh, So gap control has been a bit of an issue in terms of gap discipline. And then the third thing is you have to play with great leverage and technique. And you have to do that with some consistency. You have to be, it doesn't matter if you've got the bodies, if those bodies stand straight up and don't play with good leverage and technique, and then you can just move them. So it doesn't really matter at that point. And they've absolutely sucked at that. They've been absolutely terrible at that most of the year. So, you know, they've had, you know, a few good plays here and there, but it's been you know you what you what you want is you want a few bad plays sprinkled in here and there and they've had more a few good plays sprinkled in here and there and that needs to flip so talent wise they should absolutely be good stopping the run but again that requires two m- major things that they've not shown so far this year and I'm not I'm not confident that they're going to do
2: it you said suck and i ha- i don't know if i've ever heard you say
0: a i don't know that loser. i have either even
2: remotely a bad word, and that's why I was just kind of sitting here. I didn't want to have my mouth wide open. Uh, but I, yeah, when, I don't, when I, don't, I don't disagree when the
1: situation warrants it,
2: <laughs> and what
1: what we saw, what we have seen from the from the Carolina defense on this one, they that, it, that's the right word. I'm going to use the right word for the right situation. Dang it! And that's what they did. That's and, what they've been doing, and I
2: want to see that change. But, yeah,
1: I'm going to use the right word for the right situation.
2: I want to get Greg in on this, too, but let me ask you the other $64,000 question. Is what you described as the problems, which are plain as day on your video breakdowns, and if folks haven't watched uh, your late, your most recent one, go check it out. Go check them all out. Uh, is that a light bulb thing? I understand where you're going with it, but for the players, is it a light bulb thing? Uh, where it could just flip on and all of a sudden the technique and the leverage and the pad level and all that stuff, just they just magically start doing it. Or is that an off-season, we'll be here, uh, like Max said, we'll evaluate after 12 games. Is, is that something they could change week to week? Jason, not Greg yet. You're still in the hot seat.
1: Yeah, I'm still thinking about that. Um <laughs> So I think with gap discipline, I think that is something that can click. Like you, you do it right enough times and all of a sudden it starts to work and you start to trust it and you go, Oh, that's, you know, you start to see. So some of that can happen. You know, you, when, when you start to trust your keys, because a lot of gap discipline, especially at linebacker where Carolina has been bad in gap discipline for four years at linebacker, uh, the, the thing there is if you just start trusting your keys and start hitting the, the – the, you start triggering on time and you, you start to get the rhythm of that, then, yeah, that can be a light bulb thing. That can, that can turn on. I think with the technique thing, particularly on the defensive line, that's hard because it's not so much a technique – it's not so much a, a light bulb thing as it is an iterative process to where – I mean, every one of these guys knows what they're supposed to do. I mean Cross is not an idiot. He knows like what good pad level supposed to look like. He knows, you know, that these guys are supposed to have, you know, a strong first step and a good a good solid powerful second step, all that. He knows that stuff. But actually getting guys to do it and commit to that play in play out is the hard part. And, you know, I've seen it I've seen different guys do it enough times to know like Okay, that guy can do this. It happened. I've seen it. I seen it. So I know that I know that can happen. But it's it really is about repping it so many times correctly that you get into the habit of doing it right, so that you just when the lights go on and and the speed turns up, you just instinctively do it right. So there might be a little bit of a clicking aspect to that, but I think it really is just more you get to where over and you do it over and over again and you just start doing it correctly more often over time uh and so i don't think that's so much of a of a light bulb moment that's just a you've got to improve week in week out and get a little better every day at making sure you're you're doing it right so yeah
2: if you're in game and you're thinking about oh i gotta do this i gotta do this too late um somebody asked me today how do you know how to do that like what are you talking about I'm like that was that was pretty cool. How'd you do that? Like, I didn't even think about it. I just did it. Greg, get in here.
0: I, I got a couple of stats for you here, Tommy. Um, in 1996, which is the the one of the best uh, North Carolina defenses that's ever taken the field, actually found a database that goes back a long ways. And uh, I think it was a 1980 defense, and then maybe 77 that in terms of efficiency and metrics, ranked better than 96. That's, that's a conversation for another day if I found it interesting.
1: That 96 team was, was nice.
0: So in 96, they played 11 games. They gave up 813 rushing yards. <laughs> the, uh, the current Tar Heels um, have given up 810 against three FBS opponents. Uh, different era, I understand. But, geez, that's, that's rough. Um, and I think kind of the comparison to make here is Gene Chizik's uh, teams when he was here back in 1516. they weren't any good at stopping the run either. But part of that was by design because he wanted to make sure to eliminate all the catastrophic plays. He was willing to give up underneath. We've talked about this. So if you look at 2015, Carolina allowed 247 yards Rushing yards per game. Granted, Baylor accounts for like twelve hundred of those. Um, (laughs) A year later, though, two thousand sixteen, Carolina allowed two twenty seven. So that's a lot of a lot of yardage. Carolina is at two sixteen five right now. None of those are good. Here's the difference. Right now, North Carolina uh, and quarterback rating allowed ranks one hundred twenty seventh nationally. One seven two point one, which is astronomical in 2015 when gene Chiswick poured his magic carolina ranked 12th nationally a qb rating allowed of 109.8 so that's 63 points different
1: what What did you say what did you say the passer rating is that they're giving up right now Uh,
0: 172
2: 172.1 that's like hall of fame level
1: (laughs) well not quite but I remember when Danny Werfel had the NCAA record for highest passer rating. I think it was below that. So people that
2: say. Uh, Bryce Young right
1: now is has a, has a passer rating of 172 from Alabama.
2: And he's a, uh, uh, not uh, yeah. He'll be in the Heisman conversation. Sean King owns
0: it now uh, at 183, but Danny Werfel had it for three years at 178.4.
1: Yeah, there you go. Okay, so it's close. But last year's Heisman winner right now has a 172 passer rating. What that means is on average, the quarterback who's facing North Carolina is playing at a Heisman Trophy level in terms of production.
2: So <laughs> yeah. when people say uh, Carolina's defense makes everybody look like the Heisman winner, they're not joking.
1: They're actually not wrong. <laughs> Bryce Young's uh, uh, passer rating last year when he won the Heisman was 167.52. Jeez.
2: So, uh, Greg, you mentioned the, the early Chiswick and the current Chiswick. The talent level on this team is far more than that. That's that is what's boggling. I mean, give me an explanation um, uh, from somebody that's watched it forever and covered it deeply. What is going on?
0: Well, one thing that that team benefited from is they they created a ton of turnovers. I want to say they had thirteen or no, seventeen uh, interceptions that year, which really helps. Uh, but the other part of it is, I mean nobody really had explosive plays against them. And then, in addition to that, they were really good in the red zone. Teams got down there quite a bit, but they really did a good job kind of limiting the damage. Uh, and this team just has not done that. And it's, it's, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. you got to be good at something. And if you're going to give up the run game, you better be really good in coverage. You better be really good in eliminating those explosive plays. Carolina hasn't. And so you know, a lot of people, when we do our, our PFF report every Monday after these games, people look at the blitz numbers and say, well – Okay, you've blitzed a little bit more. They blitzed eleven times against Notre Dame at, You're pretty much double than what they've done the first three weeks of the season. Well that's eleven times on dropbacks, right?
1: They, on dropbacks, correct. Yeah, because I, I counted I, I got I had more than eleven blitzes overall when you count blitzes against the against right. called runs. Sure, sure. They they were closer to like probably thirty-five total blitzes or forty blitzes on the on the day. They blitzed a lot.
0: Okay. So yeah, against against the pass. And if you look at the numbers for the quarterbacks. When you're kept clean or you're not blitzed, this goes pretty much for everybody, but your numbers are a lot better than when you are blitzed and you are pressured. Now, the difference is across the board, the really good guys, the Trevor Lawrence's of the world, not only are elite when kept clean, they're really good under pressure. And that's really the difference. I mean, if you look at Drake May's numbers, he's really good when he's kept clean. He's like almost elite. But because he's a freshman, playing in his first serious time, under pressure, he hasn't been great. He's been okay. And so I think fans are saying, well, wait a minute. Like, we're seeing this actually work against the opponent when you do blitz. You're not good in coverage anyway. You're not stopping the run. Why not send more people? Um, And so that's really the math that Gene Chizik's trying to do is you got to shore up the back end if you're going to give up some on the front end. And that's just not working, and that's where a lot of this frustration comes from.
2: Wasn't Drew Pine 50, graded out at 50-ish under pressure or when Carolina yep. blitzed? So on 11 pass plays that they blitzed, Drew Pine had a 50 PFF grade. I, th-
0: I think he was four of eight uh, on those 11 dropbacks.
2: And when he they did not blitz him, I mean, he was very good. He was Heisman right. level yep. <laughs> almost. Yeah. Whoo, like Slagle said? Sorry, buddy. He said this is a depressing podcast. Um, and well, I,
0: we save the best for last. But but <laughs> Stay here, with here, us.
1: No, here's the thing, though, is I think this is this is something that, to be honest, Gene Chizik, I think, was caught a little bit by surprise by how ineffective this defense has been against the run. So looking at just how at the approach that they that they took at the beginning of the year listening to you know and, and Greg you heard what they were saying in the preseason and you know how they were talking at that point looking at that looking at how they've gone about the scheme at different points so far this year I really think that they they came into the season feeling like they they could be good at one thing and that's we got we got some horses up front that we can lean on to be able to handle the running game with light boxes, and then we can really clamp down on the pass. And we'll be able to get some pressure. We're gonna, you know, how much t- how much did we hear talk about about making sure they get pressure and and all of this from their front four? I think Chiswick was as surprised as anybody in game one when they didn't have as much pressure against fam and they they gave up some rushing yards against fam in that first game I think he was absolutely staggered by what happened against app in terms of their inability to stop the run and then in a complete inability to get pressure and then Georgia State you know trying to recover a little bit with that and you saw some changes there in terms of what they did and then Notre Dame, again, trying to pull at different levers. And I think they're they're really trying to adjust on the fly to a situation that in the preseason they didn't expect to be in. I, I think there I think there was a misevaluation of where they really were in terms of their ability to do some things with those guys up front. And I think a big part of that is just if you watch those guys get off the bus, I mean, they're all airport team. Right That defensive line looks like they could be playing at Clemson or or somewhere else. right? I mean, that 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 group looks, they're pretty. But the results have you know the results have been very much, you know, look like Tarzan play like Jane. And so now the 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 effort has been to try to figure out, okay, well, we're not going to be good at that. And we were counting on that to be able to do some things in the back end that would cause problems on the basis of that now we're they're having to shift to compensate there while still not being that great on the back end and so then you're really not good at anything and they're they're just having to try to figure out how to make that make those adjustments it's hard it's hard to do an in, in season i can tell you that so i think that's a big part of this and and you know, the the thing that would solve it is if some of those guys up front, just, the you know, like you said, Tommy, if the light bulb went on for some of those guys and suddenly they started getting pressure and they started being able to stop the run. Uh, but again, I you know, I think you're going to have to see more commitment to doing things correctly and doing them, uh, you know, with consistency from that group in order for it to work. Otherwise, you're going to have to do a lot of those things. The other problem, though, is when they did blitz against Notre Dame Drew Pine wasn't as good against the blitz but there were a number of times where they'd got abs- they got gashed in the running game because they blitzed and then you know one or two guys were out of a gap as you know as they were blitzing i mean this guy's supposed to be fitting in this spot because of this blitz that's coming here and instead you got two guys fitting into the same gap and nobody into this gap. And all of a sudden you've got a 14 yard run. So, you know, if when you blitz, you're just consistently getting gashed in the running game. Well, that, that, you know, makes it more difficult to feel like you can come after anybody and 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 bring the blitz because it's hurting you there. So, I mean, this is where, I mean, I under like, I would be super frustrated if I were Gene Chizik in terms of, I would feel right now like there's nothing that I can call and I've been in this situation, by the way, you know, in, in the booth where I've got my play sheet in front of me and I feel like there's nothing on that play sheet that I can call. That's going to have success. <laughs> it's like, man, you know, I, I knew we were going to be, you know, going uphill a little bit. I mean, I, I plan against heritage a few years ago when I was at Jordan, they were a lot better than us defensively. And I'm on the offensive side and we're doing everything we can to pull out the stops. We had stuff pulled in and it was like, well, that didn't work. Well, that didn't work. And that was what we'd identified as perhaps our best matchup against them. And that didn't work the first two times we did it. And we, we've, we've fired basically every bullet we got in our gun and we got seven points right now. And (laughs) this is not good. And I think Chiswick has to feel like that right now. Like, okay, I've, I've called, i've called you know base coverage here and we get gashed so i bring the blitz from here and two guys in the wrong gap and then i call you know this field pressure and they you know gash it for this and then you know i call cover seven and the safety lets it lets a guy behind him and you know for a touchdown okay so now i call cover two and then you know They gash me again in the run. So now I've got to do some, I go middle of the field closed. I put the single safety in there and I bring pressure and they just throw it out for a nice little screen for a big gain. And you know, it's like nothing I do right now. None of the levers that I'm pulling as a defensive play caller working because you have to have enough execution from those different spots for it to work. And it's just, everything is just off a beat and they've got to find a way to get it coordinated.
2: Greg, you got one more stat, and then we're going to move on to the positive video
0: part. Right. Let me let me get this out of my system, and then we can move on. Um, <laughs> I'll go through the schedule real quick. Uh, North Carolina allowed Florida A and M score twenty four points, and A M's other games against teams not named Carolina, uh, they scored twenty one point three. Appalachian State scored sixty one against Carolina. <laughs> games against teams not named Carolina, they're averaging 25.9.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Notre Dame scored 45 against Carolina, 18.3 points per game in their other games. Uh, and then Georgia State, 28 against Carolina, 26.3 in the other games uh, against teams not called Carolina. Um, so what's I that tell of Delta? You, Uh
2: Delta?
0: Large. I can't count that high, I don't think, Jason. <laughs> Um, but here, here's the other stat that I was going to throw out, Tommy. We talk about you trying to get this defense to be top 100. Um, Georgia Southern last year averaged 31.4 points per game allowed, and they ranked number 100 in the country. Carolina would have to reduce their points allowed to 27.4 over the last eight games to rank number 100 in the country, uh, according to last year's stats. So they could get really good really fast and still not wind up as a top 100 defense. So um, that's that's not to dump on Carolina's defense. We know it's been a tough road the first month, but that really kind of explains the hole that they have dug and how much work has to be done to give them a legitimate chance in ACC play.
2: It's kind of like my GPA freshman year at Carolina. It was just no hope after that. <laughs> you know, it was just like I spent the next three years treading water and trying to get above the sea level. Med school um, was out of the question for you. Yeah, really. The first they semester,
0: just, right? Look, my favorite <laughs> first exams in the first
2: semester. I, I go in, I place in the French three because we have to take the uh, placement test or whatever at, at orientation. I didn't understand a word they were saying during the test. I just guessed on everything. Placed in the French three. I go in there and they take. We take the first test. The teacher comes in there and she yeah. says, "You know, um, last words I'm gonna speak. You know, German pale, whatever." And uh, I was like, "This is not gonna be good." We take an exam and it's the only time a teacher's ever called me to her room. She said, "You need to drop this class now." That was. That was how my GPA was that freshman year. <laughs> Sorry, Mom and Dad. <laughs> it is. Uh, it was a fun time, though. But, yeah, so Carolina can be really good over the next eight games, and still to Max point, they're going to be one of the worst defenses in the country. That being said, um, I think at some point it's got to break. I mean, it just can't It can't stay that way, and maybe Virginia Tech's the get-right game. Let's talk about Johnny T-Shirt. It's already 945. They, hmm. nine, one thing, one thing. One thing time does when I talk to Greg and Jason is it flies. 945 on the East Coast. Johnny T-shirt, shirt.com, sponsors of the podcast. One of Jason's favorite portions of the show. Uh, They look after you if you're an Inside Carolina premium subscriber. 10% off your order. Get anything you want. Anything you want at Johnny T-shirt. That's Carolina related. They got some great old school stuff. Buck Sanders and Mrs. Buck rocked it at the tailgate last week. Maybe they'll rock it this week. Check them out. Support them. They're locally owned and operated on Franklin Street and online. I've always talked about that. If you want to be a, a vegetable and stay in your house, they'll bring it right to the front door to you. Um, Johnny T-shirt, take care of. National Guys paid bills on the audio version. We'll be right back. It's the game plan.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're
2: ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. We're going to talk some positive stuff here because, quite frankly, y'all are depressing me, Greg. Somebody say, Greg, you got any positive stats? You got any positive stats in that, in that book there?
0: I do, actually. Um, let me start with this, which is not a stat. But this is just information. Um, Virginia Tech's best quarterback, uh, Dorian Strong, has been battling a hand injury since the West Virginia game. He is going to be a game-time decision. That's really big news. Uh, that's uh, even bigger news when you consider that Jalen Strowman, who is a strong, a safety uh, guy they really like, who's slid down and played nickel a lot for him this year, uh, he was ejected for targeting in the second half. So he's not going to be available in the first half. So there is a chance that, that two of Virginia Tech's key secondary guys will not be, a, be available in the first half. Uh, and the reason why that is important is – One of the reasons Carolina had a chance uh, or at least made the score look respectable against Notre Dame is Dre May was able to hit on some, some shot plays down the field under some verticals. And we talk about PFF grades uh, on deep passing plays, which is 20 plus yards. Drake was five of six for 238 and two touchdowns. (laughs) Uh, He had a 97.7 passing grade on those plays. And he was credited with five big-time throws. And basically what that is is it's not just a matter of throwing the ball down the field and a guy being open and he catches it. It's making a, a perfect throw, typically against coverage, where the guy can, can make a play on it. And he did that uh, five of the six throws down the field. So I really think for, for Carolina, uh, because of what we've already talked about with the defense struggling, if Carolina is able to hit on some, some shot plays down the field and really rely on Drake May to, to hit some easy scores, if you get a 10-point lead on Virginia Tech, that just puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the Hokies offense. And that changes the complexion of this game. And I think that's something that Phil Longo has to really try early is uh, take some shots down the field, really try to separate – you know, the, the the score in that first half, so you're not getting to the third quarter with it being a field goal game. Uh, Drake showed he can do it uh, against Notre Dame against some really good defenders. I think that's that's the stat to really look out for, and that's that's somewhere where Carolina has a significant advantage.
1: Drake May's passer rating, since we discussed the defensive side, Drake May's current passer rating is 188.5
2: on the season. Yeah. I think that's elite, right?
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's, that'll that, that's, that'll do. That's high. So um,
2: let, let's talk about that versus what we've had uh, the offensive line. Max has been critical of the offensive line in the run game. Talk about that. Has, how that affects Drake, Jason, and how good he's been despite that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the running game is a, is a bit of a complicated mix because I don't think it's all offensive line right now. Uh, I, I think they really, really have missed. Uh, I mean, it, this this would be a different looking offense if if British Brooks were healthy. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think I think it would be very different. Um, I when I'm going back and I'm looking at the offense, uh, you know, as I'm going through doing some review, I'm seeing a lot of opportunities that the backs are missing. So, you know, it's not that the that the offensive line is. is has been bad they've not now they've not been good but they've been in many cases good enough they've been pretty average i think just in general the the carolina offensive line has been average to you know maybe in certain certain cases just a little below average or a little bit you know above average they've been pretty pretty much in the average range but you're looking at some of the freshman backs some of these young backs they're they're missing they're missing the timing so you know the running game so much of it is about the running back hitting the right spot at the right time with the right amount of force and that takes some rhythm that takes good vision that takes making sure your feet are aligned with your eyes and and, and all of that and there have been a number of cases where you go back and you look at it and actually the two uh, i know uh uh, ben Sherman posted uh, a couple of uh, of videos that uh, that had been posted on Twitter of goal line uh, with Notre Dame getting big stops on the goal line. And you could see these were there was clinic tape from Notre Dame's defensive line, basically uh, tossing around Carolina, the right side of Carolina's offensive line. And yet, if you look at it, on the first one, if – omarion hampton hits hits the you know recognizes where the where the seam is and hits it correctly that's not quite walking in but he gets in pretty easily and instead he you know kind of cuts straight to where the guy's filling and tries to just run over a a a veteran college uh, college uh defender and in high school hampton trucks that guy and, and goes into the end zone and I think you could actually, if you watch that closely, you can actually see Hampton's look of surprise through his helmet that he did not run that guy over. Uh, and there's been a few of those cases so far this year where you can see like, oh man, the just son, slow down just a little bit here and recognize that that's your read and hit that seam and you're going to be fine. And I think that's a little bit of why Mac talked about, or was it, was it I think it was Longo that might've talked about, or maybe they both did, uh, talked about maybe shortening the 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 running back room rotation a little bit, trying to figure out who, who the guys are going to be. Uh, I think there's some frustration right now in the coaching staff that they're leaving yards on the field at the running back position. It's not just offensive line. The offensive line could be better. They could be getting a little more displacement. They could be better in the running game, but they're not getting a whole lot of favors from those younger backs. And, I think there's frustration from the coaching staff that none of those backs has really stepped forward to separate so that he can be the guy and, and be productive to, to make your job as a running back is to make your offensive line. Right. Mm -hmm. And there've been a number of times this year where the running backs have just been, you know, there, there's something there and the running backs have just been missing the opportunity to make their offensive line. Right. And they've been making them wrong. And that part of the, of the offense just has to get on track. And I think that, that is one of those things that can just click. And when it clicks, all of a sudden you're going to have a totally different situation, but that's where I think British Brooks is really missed. Cause that was something he was, he was good at. Uh, He'd gotten a lot better at over his career. And, and I think he would be making this offensive line look a lot better.
2: That's similar to what happened in the orange bowl. Uh, There were several opportunities for British Brooks and, and uh, I guess Henderson and them to make the offensive line look really good and they just missed the spot. And Carolina fans were so used to Carter and Javante doing it. Um so I certainly see your point, Greg. Uh somebody asked, does Carolina's offensive playbook have a pitch play in it? Yes. Do we haven't More seen that much though? We 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 have not seen a ton of that. Um and I'll ask a, a better question. In your opinion, Greg, if they narrow it down to two. Who are those two from North Carolina? And you're—I don't like the hot hand deal because running back is a lathered-up position, um, especially for a guy like Hampton. He's better in the second half. But how, how does Mac? How does Longo? How does Larry Porter? How do they narrow this position down? You think?
0: Uh, it's a good question, and I mean, it's a couple of things go into it, right? I mean, you've, you've got to look at guys that are solid all around in terms of being able to pass block and those kind of things. Also, as Jason says, you got to be able to have guys that kind of know what to do. They have a feel for the game because they've played. You know, Hampton, no doubt, will get there. Uh, he's not there yet, and so you almost kind of have to rely on maybe the the veteran guys. Um, you know, whether that's DJ Jones and Caleb Hood, or uh, you know, I thought Elijah Green has looked okay when a little bit that he's played. but He hasn't played much. I like the idea of going kind of limiting things down to to two backs just to. Let them get into a rhythm um, because if you're going to rely on Hampton and Petaway, which I think you should, I mean, I think those are the, the two most talented kids, but in order for them to kind of get to where they need to get, they just need reps. And so are you willing to sacrifice in the short term for guys that will help you out maybe at the end of the year? Or do you go with kind of more of the known quantities at this point in time who maybe aren't, the most talented. And I think that's really the challenge right now for Larry Porter. Um, I trying to figure out exactly because I mean, who out of this bunch has jumped off the page as significantly better.
2: They don't play enough. That's the thing. They've all, all been, I don't, I don't know. They've all been pretty average. And
1: again, what you just said is right, Tommy. You haven't seen enough of any of them.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. We, we've seen glimpses. Uh, and I, I think that's, that's a lot of it. Because if you look at kind of some of the numbers here, Um, I mean, the, the average per yard is pretty solid. Uh, but then you look at all these explosive plays that they've had, you know, Caleb Hood had a 71 yarder, uh, Hampton had the 58 yarder. I'm not sure who had the 46 yarder, but a lot of those obviously is what you want. That's good. But then when you kind of average down most of the other run plays, that average shrinks dramatically. And so you're, you you, as we talked about, you're not going to eliminate the good plays or the bad plays to make a point. Um, But when you're not getting a a steady, solid running game, except for those explosive plays, uh, that's where you can get tripped up and that's where you get behind the chains. And that's where maybe some of these drives that end in, end in kicks uh, could be extended. And that's just a consistency thing. So yeah, it's, it is it's a challenge you got to figure out okay what which way do we want to go and then you just have to decide on it and go with it and i think right now they're trying to hope somebody pops out and, and nobody's done that quite yet
2: and somebody slagle again mentioned you know people talking about caleb hood cable hood caleb hood's got to be available every time and and he has injury issues and yep. you know i think I think that factors into it. I think DJ Jones is probably the best all around at the very moment right now. Um, Of course, my favorite is Hampton getting one of those spots, but I don't know if he's the guy. Who knows? Let's talk about what's going to happen Saturday. Last weather thing I looked at, it looks like it's going to be decent weather, so we'll get that out of the way right now. Jason, I'll let you start. Is this a get-right game for Carolina's defense versus Virginia Tech's offense, and how will that side of the ball go down?
1: So I think it is. uh, You know, I said before the season that I was not sure that Virginia Tech had a Power 5-level quarterback on their roster. I'm still not convinced that they have a Power 5-level quarterback on their roster. And I don't think they've got a bunch – I don't think they have any receivers that scare you either. So, I mean, this is one of those things where if you look at Virginia Tech, they really are kind of the – uh, the counterpart offensively to Carolina's defense because you find yourself asking, what do they do well? What is what does Virginia Tech do well offensively? So, I think the main thing that you're trying to do with Virginia Tech is to force them to run the football with some consistency to beat you, and to this is the this is a game tailor made for Gene Chiswick's strategy of force them to execute all the way down the field and they're going to make mistakes. (laughs) I think that's what you've got here. They, they're not great on the offensive line. They don't have explosiveness at running back. I'm not sure they have a power five level quarterback and they don't have receivers that scary. I mean, their best receiver might be in terms of a, of down the field threat might be Gosnell. So, I mean, I, I think, this is a this is a get right game. This could be a big game for confidence. I think if Virginia Tech goes out there and scores you know 25, 28 points against this against this North Carolina team in this game, that's like that's re- that's very that's cause for even more concern. <laughs> this should be a game where Carolina can get right by basically playing their style of defense and basically forcing Virginia Tech to be better than they've been. Uh, and uh, the physical matchups favor Carolina up front. So I feel good about that. I think it'll be a mixed bag. I think you will see more points scored by Virginia Tech than they should, but I do think this will be better for the Carolina defense than we've seen. And as good as as the Virginia Tech defense is in advanced metrics, I know in FEI they're, what, 38th? Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, they, they and they were pretty good against, against a, a decent – West Virginia team they, they've they been they've been okay I think Carolina is going to be able to do what they want offensively in the passing game against Virginia Tech I think they'll still have some trouble running the football I mean they, they're pretty good on run defense uh, but I think ultimately Drake May this is another game where Drake May is going to throw for four touchdowns and you know probably uh, uh, you know get them in position for a couple others so I think this is a game that should be a get right game, you know, a clear the system game. After Notre Dame, you hope that maybe some of the some of the things click for the defense, and you can get some confidence doing what they're doing, and, and that can pay off in others. But I think this is one of those games where I think Carolina should be about an 80 percent or eighty five percent chance of winning this game, and I've got Carolina winning it. Uh, let's go with um, forty two to uh, forty two to, to twenty.
2: That would be – I think that would be a success right there. Greg, uh, I want your take on the game first of all, but somebody asked about Jonathan Kim leaving. Uh, and I, we never talk about special teams. Noah Burnett's been great, but I think Jonathan Kim stepping out. is a big deal for this team. Just comment on that before you get into how this game will play out.
0: Uh, welcome to the new world of transfer portal and four-game you know, redshirt deal. That's all it is. And uh, you can't blame him. I mean, he, he's been wanting to be the starting place kicker for a long time. Just hasn't been able to to be consistent enough. Uh, he is an absolute weapon in the kickoff game. And so that, that is going to hurt Carolina for sure. Um, but I mean, he, he played his cards right in terms of, you know, he got through four games, tried to win the job, couldn't. Now he can redshirt, and he's got, I think two years left. So that's just, just a world we're in right now. Um, it won't be the last time, but that. I mean, North Carolina is in position. I mean, they're three and one in position to compete for the Coastal title, and they lost a, a key weapon on special teams. Uh, but that is what it is. Um, to to add some depth to what Jason just said, when, when you look at what uh, Virginia Tech has done in terms of scoring on long drives, uh, they just haven't. Uh, they're averaging <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> they haven't scored, okay, in, in long drives at all. Not scored a point. And then when starting uh, between their own 20 and their 40, I think they're averaging 1.4 points per possession, which is 94th nationally. So Jason's exactly right. I mean, if, if Gene Chiswick's scheme in terms of making teams – slowly work their way down the field. Uh, I mean, this, this is ideal. Um, so I, I agree with everything Jason said there. I think, I think Virginia Tech's defense is solid. I don't think they're great. I don't think they're good enough to really slow down what Drake may wants to do ultimately. Uh, and I think Virginia Tech's going to have a hard time scoring. I, mean, I think they're going to have a hard time scoring against the high school team. Um, and they're going to struggle against Carolina. So yeah, uh, this, you know, I said last week, you know, if Notre Dame scores 31 points, that's uh, going to be an issue. We're going to be talking about another bad defensive performance. Notre Dame scored 45. And they uh, should have
1: scored 52.
0: Correct. Correct. <laughs> With the fumble at the goal line. Um, but I, I think this is just a game where you, Carolina should easily hold Virginia Tech to 17, 20 points, especially if the weather is a little bit wet, a little bit windy, unless it's going to make it more difficult. I don't have it being as big of a point spread as Jason, but I've got Carolina winning this one 31, 21.
2: I, uh, somebody said, what's if Carolina loses this game, Tyler Godwin bringing the bad mojo, if Carolina loses this game, what happens next? I don't want to see it because we have done this. It's going to, the defense is going to improve. They're going to get, well, not all of us thought that. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, but here, here's realist. the thing,
0: Tommy, and I know you guys talked about it in the on the Beat podcast. Um, Mac Brown mentioned needing to recruit better to be able to compete with teams like Notre Dame. Um, that sets him up for some struggles the rest of the year because there's only one other team on this calendar on this schedule that has recruited better than Carolina since Mac's been here. And that's Miami next week. I mean, if you look at what Virginia Tech has done recruiting the last three years against Carolina, uh, Carolina's average class is ranked number 13. Virginia Tech's is number 52.
1: And they've lost a bunch of those players to transfer on top of that. So their roster is actually worse than that 52 ranking would suggest.
0: Right. So So that is a a wide gap. Um, And pretty much all the other – I mean, Wake Forest has the worst recruiting average of anybody. And we saw what they did with Clemson last last week. So, uh, you know, I, I think you got to get to a point of of if you lose this game, you've got to be completely honest. You can't you can't blame it on recruiting. You can't blame it on hype. Can't blame it on media. Uh, I mean, you, you've got to be very honest if you're Mac Brown and communicating with your your team. I don't think it's going to be an issue this week. I think Virginia Tech is, is just not a good team. Um, they're not Boston college, but they may be the second worst team in the ACC. So that helps Carolina. But if you lose this game, um, there's going to be a lot of ire. And so you, you've got to, you got to come clean and say, look, we have a lot of issues. We got to get them figured out. It's none of this external stuff It's all internal and we got to make some drastic changes quickly or else, you know, a lot of the, the fan base is going to be lost.
1: I'm going to jump in here for Tommy and just say, in my view, this is a must win game.
2: For the future. Yeah. yeah. And I said – I don't disagree. I said a lot of – all this talent, no excuses. No more excuses. You just got to put up more points. I think it will cause some consternation if Virginia Tech scores, say, 31 points and Carolina wins 45-31. But the bottom line is you better have one more point than Virginia Tech. Keep winning. At 7 o'clock on Saturday afternoon in Kenan Stadium or Saturday evening.
1: Answering real quick one question here I see in the chat, does UNC have a top five wide receiver tight end core with with green back? That's an interesting question. I don't know that I'd put him top five, but I think I'm comfortably in the top 10 area at this point with them. Uh, I mean, they're not Ohio State. Uh, they're not – I think you might put uh, Wake Forest up there. But they're they're in the discussion. They're they're in the same. They're in the discussion for that kind of thing. Maybe maybe they are in the top five. You know, by the end of the year there. But I think they're they're comfortably top ten.
2: And I think Antoine Green's return is a game changer for this team and for Drake May. Huge. Yeah, it was gigantic. And uh, anyway, Carolina wins. I say forty-eight to twenty-eight. I think Virginia Tech might score more points than we think. Hope the weather's nice. Hope people get out. Uh, To the bowls lot, the tailgate, to the game, no excuses, get in Kenyon Stadium. Ian will be an afterthought, Uh, so you need to see folks come out and come see us at the bowls lot if we're down there doing CHL, WCHL, IC Live. That's Greg Barnes. That's Jason Staples, Mr. Doctor to you. Uh, We'll we'll be (laughs) back. Uh, I'll be back, like I said, with IC Live. I guess the game's at 3.30, so uh, 12.30 to 2.30 for Inside Carolina Live. Uh, with me and Joey Powell and some special guests. The day after with Jason Staples and Buck Sanders, somebody said uh, there will be some brown stuff flowing on Sunday morning if this game does not go as we've predicted. Uh, You might be right. On the beat next week, Jason and Greg will be back before you know it with the next game plan. Johnny T-shirt sponsors us. Take care of them. We take care of y'all. Peace out, everybody.